This is OPI Talk, the voice of the business products industry. Hello and welcome to this episode of OPI Talk. I'm your host, Michelle Sturman, and I'll be sharing some exclusive extracts from an interview I conducted with Jonathan Withy from the Planet Mark. Thank you for joining me today and doing the interview all about sustainability. For anyone who doesn't know you and Planet Mark, maybe a brief introduction to your background um, and then uh, an introduction to Planet Mark and what Planet Mark's all about and and what it hopes to achieve. Absolutely. So, yeah. So um, my name is Jonathan with you. I head up the business development team at the Planet Mark. I'm a sustainability consultant by by trade historically, and now I've moved into the world of business development a little bit, but I'm explain where I why that's actually a, a really interesting approach and actually really valuable to have that background in it. So I, uh, it all started really with a with a geography degree in which a lot of my friends would refer to as colouring in, but we did actually learn about the world and how different geographical systems work together, which naturally led on to understanding the climatic system and how that's changing. And that got me really interested in that side of things and, and sustainable development in general. And my dad's an entrepreneur and I love business and understanding how business works. And so I decided to follow up with a master's in sustain- business and sustainability and understanding the role organizations have in helping us transition to a more sustainable way of living within planetary boundaries. And from there, I did a whole bunch of different things, including working for a private equity firm, working for a UN environment program out in the Philippines. And when I came back, Back from the Philippines, I got an opportunity to work with a with an, a small office supplies company called Wiles Greenworld, who have been doing sustainability for for a long time. And Toby Robbins, one of the directors there, the same sustainable de- development director there, he was a bit of a pioneer of his time. Was doing was doing it from the 90s, offering free recycling schemes for for customers when they were delivering supplies and collecting recycling at the same time as a reverse logistics model, which was really cool. And I was really impressed with the, uh, with the approach that Wiles Greenworld was taking. So he gave me some reign over different things that we could do to not only minimize Wiles Greenworld's own impacts, but also tell some powerful stories to customers to help green their supply chains and actually help win and retain business, which was at the time, was awesome because it moved the conversation away from price. And if you can be competitive on price and service, what are your other USPs? And sustainability was a real driving force around that. And then, and Wiles Greenwell then got acquired by by commercial group yes. Um, yes. at the time because there was a similar alignment in cultures and approaches to sustainability. So I always used to look at what commercial was doing and actually have conversations with their sustainability manager at the time as a kind of collaboration opportunity to understand what our shared challenges were and are there things that we can learn from each other for our mutual benefit and so when that acquisition occurred it was really exciting for me anyway because I got to move uh, it was really exciting for everyone but um, I got to move and work with some really larger organizations like Dixon Coffin Warehouse and other similar ones to that to and next uh, to see what we could do to support them with their sustainability agendas and also, and do some cool innovative reporting as well and things like that so and from that role as well I got to work with all the certifications and standards from health and safety 18,000 ISO the 18,001 standard to ISO 14,001 
to the carbon trust standard, to a bit of B Corp stuff, to to the carbon neutral company uh, and the planet mark. So I've kind of I have a breadth of knowledge with 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 a multitude an FSC and PSC, a multitude of knowledge within a, an array of certification schemes. And what drew me to the planet mark was they had a quite an innovative approach was that they're not only going to kind of measure and independently verify your environmental impacts and incentivize you to reduce. They have an amazing engagement and communication aspects to what they do or pillars, which I guess this nicely segues into the planet mark where they really want to inspire change, which is what sustainability is all about. So if you were going into a company of, of, of any size, where exactly would you start the employees and the company on, on this journey? whether they had some slight sustainability programs in place or whether they, they had absolutely zero and starting from scratch. Take us through kind of a planet mark journey for a company's sustainability. Absolutely. So no matter what stage of a journey a company is on, if they want to adopt something like the planet mark, we, we, we want to start with a baseline. So we want to look at their previous year. We want to build a model and a system to understand what their environmental impacts are were for that previous year. So we can understand the measures they put in place, what they're going to improve, but also take into account stuff that they've already done. So what we want to do is wrap our arms around as much readily available data that we can. And we want to measure an environmental impacts um, and convert that into a carbon footprint. So we've got a consistent metric for measuring that, that change. And we sit on something called the Greenhouse Gas Protocol, which is the most widely recognised global framework for measuring carbon and the rules associated with that. And then on the social aspect of it, we, we measure what's called social value that an organisation is, is, is generating through its support of the communities in which it operates. The social value is something that's really, really cool that was born out of the Social Value Act in 2012, um, which is a neat piece of UK legislation. So this is within the UK specifically, where organisations bidding on public tenders over worth over 50 grand or more had to demonstrate the social value that they were creating as an organisation. And the government at the time, in all its wisdom, didn't produce any guidance to say how to go about doing that. So okay. since then, there's been a few frameworks been built by social scientists and then we sit on the social value portal, which is a really cool framework, and it allows organisations to put a put a fiscal value, so a pound sign, against the social good that they're doing within the communities in which they operate. So, for example, okay. if you hire locally, if you use local suppliers, if you pay the living wage, if you give people volunteer days and the types of activities they do with those volunteer days, all that creates social value. So, but it can sometimes be a bit spread out and disparate and not structured in the approach so again we will collect all of that information which typically sits within hr and put this all into a report and quantify these the social value that you're creating as an organization and we're the only certification that measures both environmental impacts and carbon footprints and social value at the same time to encompass those two pillars of sustainability talking about carbon offsetting it seems that a lot of the time companies are instead of trying to create a strategy to get to net zero instead they're literally just relying on carbon offsetting a lot of the airlines have been accused i suppose for want of a better word of, of doing this so yeah instead of actually getting to that point they're just literally carbon offsetting i mean what, what are your thoughts on that so carbon offsetting is uh, can be a bit of a sensitive subject i think and there's been a lot of media around what it is and the benefits and 
can it be almost a greenwashing exercise or an exercise where you just throw money at the problem and then kind of think you've done your bit to to contribute to to this some of these issues right like the climate crisis and we know that we need to be actively reducing the carbon that's entering the atmosphere right carbon has a life cycle of about 100 years in the atmosphere and we need to be reducing that in order to mitigate climate change so first and foremost companies need to be actively understanding their carbon and putting measures in place to reduce that in as an efficient and robust but also realistic way as possible but we need ambition right and we need to treat this like the crisis that it is but if you're doing everything you can but it's still as a business and operation you're naturally going to still be emitting carbon then if you want to offset as part of that solution then that's that's good that's a good thing to do and it's better than not doing it but look really carefully into the credibility of those offsets and understand them and the projects that they support. And if you can try and create a story and a relationship between the offsetting projects that you're supporting and the nature of your business. So for example, a, com a commercial group, they were offset through two projects. One was the Rimbaria project in Indonesia, um, which was a peatland wetlands project that protected the peatlands and wetlands, stopped it being drained in order to uh, for growing for palm oil and stuff like that. And a lot of plastic focused products was being manufactured in Indonesia. There was a relationship there. And the, the other was a tea growing plantation in which run by women in which some of the plantation was reserved in order to grow forests. And that was is what generated the carbon credits. We saw a lot of tea. So we it was a nice link there. And we created stories around it. So do that. And then in order, so we can also certify companies as carbon neutral and in order to be certified as carbon neutral you need to be showing you're actively reducing your carbon on an annual basis and you also need to have an, an evidence a carbon management plan to show how you're continuing to reduce that and then you're going to offset your emissions and you could have to do all those things against the offset one of the official offsetting frameworks which i believe is PAS 2060 to to be able to be certified as carbon neutral so if you're investigating a company and you're looking at them and they're saying, oh, we're offsetting our emissions, therefore we're carbon neutral or net zero carbon or carbon positive or carbon negative. There's a load of term, there's lots of terminology out there now. Look to see what they're doing to reduce because that's the aim of the game, right? That's what we've got to cut carbon. So that's, I hope that answered the question. It was quite it a lot. Uh, How easy is it to actually cut carbon for an average business? I mean, are there kind of, just easy, no-brainer ways of doing it, presumably leading to more complicated uh, reductions as you, as you move along a, a path, for example. But um, how easy is it to do this? Yeah, so the, depending on the, lev, uh, the, the stage you're at in your sustainability carbon journey, right, there's the, there's the inevitable low-hanging fruit. So the things that are easy, and there is loads, would be from an electricity perspective, switch your providers to a renewable energy supplier, right? And, and then get the REGO certificates that come with that to, and get them to evidence the fact that you are buying renewable electricity, which is really cool. And then when someone measures your carbon, you on the greenhouse gas protocol, for example, there's different types of reporting. There's a car, uh, there's a market-based and a location-based. And Location-based reporting allows you to recognize the purchase of renewable electricity as zero carbon. So do that because that's going to drive the generation of renewable electricity. And it's a really interesting thing to do. 
and green electricity is just as competitive as brown electricity and in some cases more competitive and if you wanted to go out into the market in order to do that there's a really cool platform called open energy market which is a reverse auction platform to allow you to for different energy providers to bid on your energy for the year ahead um, and you can stipulate that you just want renewable energy to be bidded on and then you and then they can also see throughout the day because it's a day bid what people have bid and they can undercut them if they want so it's not only competitive but it also allows you to really switch easily or go down an ecotricity or a good energy route for example as other energy providers that can help so or renewable energy providers that can help so that's one thing that's a really easy thing to do the next thing is to look at depending on the nature of the business so we work with a lot of law firms and banks and service-based organizations where perhaps the offices in which they work in are multi-tenanted offices mm -hmm. and and they might have not have the level of operational control as other organizations who own their own infrastructure and buildings but they do loads of traveling and flying and I know, and we can talk about the current last few months in, to put it in context of what's going on right now but let's let's look at that right and can you achieve the same outcome from a, a meeting such as we're having right now an online video conference that, that you can meeting people in person and what the current situation has shown us is, is in, in this forced change is that I believe we can. So let's look at that, but also incentivize people in the carrot approach. And there's a, a really cool investment bank that showed if you, for any of their people who typically like to fly a lot anyway, and people are, we're, as humans, we're very good at, we have these habits and we're quite resistant to change. We don't really like it, right? We're very comfortable working and doing things as, as we, we used to and uh, have been doing for a long time. They incentivize them saying, if you don't purchase that plane ticket, even though the company's buying it, we will put 50% of the value of that plane ticket towards a charity of your choice to incentivize you to, to change it, to not do it. Now, not everyone's an investment bank who can afford to do that. I, I understand that. But these are clever things people can start thinking of to, to incentivize that change and then also communicate that to their clients so the clients understand it as well. And the beautiful thing about being in 2020 is people do get it a lot more. And I'm not using phrases like where there's carbon, there's cost and coming at it from a cost saving perspective like I was doing five or six years ago. Now there's a broader value generated from from sustainability and adopting stronger sustainable practices because people want to work for and buy from companies that are doing more good that isn't going away so if you can credibly demonstrate that you're it's going to really really help you yeah. overall i mean 2020 is going to be an anomaly in many many ways but overall where do you think we sit as a world and this is kind of almost a pie in the sky question for you but where do you think we sit in terms of our carbon emissions and actually achieving net zero by 2050 oh, so that's a big question so where do we sit as a world there's a lot to be done i'm i'm an i'm ever the optimist you know you kind of have to be doing what we do and i think 2019 was a bit of a pivotal year because we saw a lot of a lot of movement and a lot of noise uh, with the Greta Thunberg of these worlds, the school strike for climate, extinction rebellion, and everything that they done, and they shone a spotlight on it. And that, from a risk perspective, for organisation and also government, they have to do something. And the energy from that 
came from young people, right? And it came from from young people in this in generation, the Generation Z folks who are, are very anxious and worried about the world they're going to be inheriting, and justifiably so. And actually, they're incredibly informed, like they know the issues, right? And they, and I and I feel for them, especially now, because they they're this feel helplessness, right? Because they're not in a position of power to make this change happen. So what can they do? And I think it's a great example of the power that activism has. And that really galvanized change. And we're seeing some really big companies like the Black Rocks of this world and even BP, their new CEO coming in, recognizing the change that needs to take place. Now, the big question mark is how quickly can we change? And if we think about it like a I've been doing some sailing recently, so I've got some sailing references here. But we think about it as like a big ship, a global society. And we have to think of this issue globally and act locally, right? Um, and it's really hard to, to, to think of yourself as a global citizen sometimes with everything that's going on. But we're a big ship and we're going in one direction, which is, which is not the best direction. And in order to change, we've got to change the course of this ship. And that's going to be a slow thing. So we, we, we're not very agile as a global society. So it's going to take, that systematic change takes time, of which is not on our side. So we can do it. This current health crisis has shows that we can change when we want to. So what do we need to do to galvanize society to get, to get them to get it and change and make it a really positive experience? And the developed world, especially in the UK, we have a responsibility to, to, to lead that change, in, in my opinion. Right? So, yeah. And the other thing is there is a large degree of uncertainty around how long we have we say we've got 10 years in ipc we've got some amazing scientists doing it but these things called tipping points and there's a bit in the news at the moment with the rain the amazon right is it it's, it's at a tipping point with where it could convert into savannah and things like that and that has a massive implication on our ability to control the, the still be in control of our climate destiny and that's so important because it has so many implications just to, for how we feed um, and water ourselves from a very basic perspective so yes we need to do it as quickly and efficiently as possible and yeah we just got to keep doing what we're trying to do yeah absolutely um I mean, oh, one one other thing i'm really sorry um we're seeing some really powerful pieces of media out there which is also driving the change and keeping momentum going like Sir David Attenborough's recent netflix documentary right and and other powerful things that have come out which talk again talk in a language and understanding that people get and resonates with so those things as well play all play a massive part i think last year was all about single use plastic and its elimination and, and all the rest and obviously with the increase in ppe and plastic barriers in the office seems to have reared its ugly head again I've been doing a lot of research on e-waste and recycling and it's it's a scary situation. I think it's a really difficult one, right? There's never going to be the perfect answer to, to this or solution to this. It's a, it is a balancing act. It is a balancing act between getting people back to work safely, but then also trying to not generate as much single, especially single-use plastic waste as we have done before. And you're right, we were... We were doing a lot of amazing things and then it was uh i don't think we've lost momentum on it i think the, the wheels and the cogs that are turning to put changes in place around how we package products the type of product that we use 
you're actively seeking seeking more sustainable alternatives i think that's here to stay and i think that's still really important to people has that transition slowed probably um but as we said this is a health crisis and we have to do what we can to to address that and alleviate it um and it, could there be more reusable alternatives to that probably but they were good they're going to take time to come through and yeah we just got to make sure the waste, the waste infrastructure is geared up to cope with it and ensure so the aim so so it doesn't as a minimum doesn't end up in landfill or in, into our water systems and into the oceans as a result so for example the energy for wet to waste infrastructure is still growing which is really cool especially in europe so the uk sells a lot of its waste to europe in order to burn to produce electricity so as long as it's going through that as a minimum then we're on to it's not too bad but yeah waste and recycling is often one of those things that people put there something they no longer want in the in the correct bin or maybe not even the correct bin and then it's out of sight out of mind thing and we know that that infrastructure that sits behind that has a whole host of challenges that it has to take on. And traditionally, it's just about how do we get rid of this stuff for as cheap as possible, right? And in order to maximize margins, et cetera. And now it's this whole really great pieces of legislation like the EU Waste Directive and stuff like that to make sure that we follow the waste hierarchy, but it makes it very challenging for waste contractors, for sure. It's a difficult one. Any um, easy wins for people? If you, if someone said to you, what is the, the thing that I can do immediately right now to become more sustainable in my business? What is it? Start talking to your staff to understand who is, because not everyone's really passionate about the, the issues, which is fine, um, to understand who is passionate about sustainability and recycling and nature and getting out into nature and set a meeting for those people to all sit around a physical or virtual table to talk about it right and have a conversation and say right what are issues are most important to us as a company and individuals and what can we start looking at from that perspective and go from there and then i will say how do we start measuring it right and then i'll say pick up the phone and talk to some companies who might be able to help such as the planet mark but that would be us saying so start talking to people and start having those conversations and start in embedding a, a culture of sustainability within your organization and show that it's important to you and lead from the front that's a, that's a really good place to start because you will have passionate people within your organization especially young people who really care about these issues and want to play a part and you they by the way they become more productive and you'll have a lower staff turnover as a result talking about the younger generation do you think the generational split on sustainability really does exist i.e. It, it's, it's the younger ones who really care about this and it's the older ones who are just going, well, actually, I just want to make money and retire. So I'll leave it to your generation. Do you think that really exists? Yes and no. You could split it a whole host of different ways from socioeconomic issues to gender to lots of different ways. Do I think there's a generational difference? A little bit. A little bit sometimes. For some people, yes, but it's only because people didn't know at the time is a thing. There's, a, there's an awareness informative issue why there is a bit of a split. And also in that change thing, if you built a habit over a number of years, you don't like change, right? And if you are approaching retirement, you're like, 
is this is this battle for me you know and i get that i do get it but we've got everyone's got to play a part and be on this journey but then i'll talk to older people who are inspired by their kids so yeah it comes at it different ways but yeah i don't i wouldn't like to yeah i don't think that's a fair way to look at it necessarily fair enough oh talking about uh, the planet mark are you uk companies only or no, we're international. We're international. Okay. We're founded in the UK, and I think naturally we have a quite a large UK presence. But we work really well within Europe and other countries, such as we're working in the Indonesian Stock Exchange at the moment with some Indonesian companies, which is quite cool. And we're working with the Council of British International Schools. So we're working with schools all over the world now, which is my favourite project to work on, and schools and certifying schools and giving kids a bit of ownership over measuring the environmental impacts of their school so they can understand what a carbon footprint looks like and all of these kind of things, which is really exciting. So yeah, so we're international and yeah, it's really important. And I love understanding the different cultures around sustainability internationally and understand where different people, countries are at on the journey. But on the whole, most people have a really good understanding of it. So it's, yeah, so we are international, but we do have quite a strong UK presence. Thank you for listening to API Talk. Find us at opi.net for all the latest news and analysis from the business products world, or you can download our app from the App Store or Google Play. Just search for OPI Magazine. If you would like to know more from the interview from Jonathan Withy, then please visit the magazine section on opi.net and read the big interview from the November-December issue.